0: All right, we are going to turn to Luke chapter 11 now, okay? If you don't have a Bible, that table back there next to the Connect banner, there's Bibles there. There should be some at these tables as well. We're in Luke chapter 11 at the very beginning of that chapter. Like I said, too, at the snack table, there's uh, some coloring pencils, clipboards, and some sheets for the youngsters or, yes, Seth, the adults to follow along with as well. So Luke chapter 11, And I want to just give us a little bit of context and catch us up from where we were last week. So as you know, we're going through, each week we're touching a part of each chapter. So we're missing a lot of good stuff. And so last week, we were in chapter 10, and we were looking at when Jesus is asked by this expert in the law, hey, what do I have to do to have eternal life? What do I got to do to live forever? Because right now, like, people are dying, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. I just did a funeral yesterday. It came up kind of last minute. And that was the, the refrain was, it just wasn't supposed to be this way. Like, this shouldn't have happened. There's something inside of each of us that knows that. Like, this doesn't seem right. This, this life, 22 years old, shouldn't have gone this quickly. And so this is the question of our day, and it was the question of their day too, is what, what do I have to do to have eternal life? I know that that's the way it's supposed to be. A full life that's good. And Jesus goes, you know the answer? And he says, yeah, it's, it's love God with everything you have and then love other people too. And Jesus is like, yep, that's right. And the guy goes, but how, like who do I have to love? And so we go through this whole story of the Good Samaritan, right? And if you didn't get a chance to be here and, and listen with that, go back and listen to the podcast, to the audio online. Uh, but then right after that, at the end of chapter 10, the next thing we're told is that Jesus goes and he meets with two women named Martha and Mary. And many of you might be familiar with this story too, the Martha-Mary story. Uh, You know, I I was, grew up hearing, hearing teachings like, hey, don't be a Martha, you want to be a Mary. And so the idea is like, Mary is just sitting there hanging with Jesus while Martha is working really hard to serve him, and she gets upset, like, wait a second, Mary's not helping me. And so... Martha learns this lesson there, and it would be good for you to go back and read it, but she learns this lesson of like the best thing for us, yes, there's lots of good things to do, but the best thing is to just be with Jesus. And so on the heels of hearing this message of what we are called to do is love God and love other people, that's like the only thing that matters, and be with Jesus. Like if you love God, you're going to want to be with him, right? Love God, love other people, be with Jesus. If you can get those things down, you'll be doing pretty good. And on the heels of that, we're going to learn now how to pray from Jesus himself. He's going to teach us. And I want you, the reason I recap that is I want you to hear in this prayer and in his instructions afterward, how he's tying that in to what it is we're called to do and how we're called to live by loving God, loving others, and being with him. Make Make sense? All right, so before we read it, though, how many of you learned how to pray something like this? God is great. God is good. Thank you, Lord, for this food. Anyone learn that? Okay. one. What about if you were late and you forgot to pray after you've eaten, then you could just switch it and go, God is good. God is great. Thank you for the food we ate. Like it's past tense now. Then you covered it, right? What are some other prayers that you guys know? Now Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I shall die before I wake. What? Do you guys know it? Pray the Lord my soul to take. Any others? Where do those come from? We don't know, do we? Interesting. Huh? Nursery rhymes. Passed down from generations. We're going to learn a prayer today from Jesus. Jesus taught himself that was passed down generations. Maybe many of you know it. The Lord's Prayer, have you heard of it before? It starts with, what's, what's the version you know? Go ahead and say it. Our Father. Yeah, keep going with the, the, the King's language. Let's hear it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the power, glory, and the kingdom is one of those, forever and ever, amen. Amen. Thine, whoever says thine, right? So that version is actually from Matthew. And that last little part we said about the kingdom, power, glory uh, was actually added on later in different manuscripts. And there's a whole lot of debate about what each of those lines mean and what, like, are we supposed to say that verbatim? Like, think about it. The, The version you know is the King James Version that probably most of us don't even read anymore, right? None of us talk that way in normal language anymore. For some reason, that's become like you have to say it this way. And was Jesus saying every time you pray, this is how you these are the exact words you have to say? Here's why I'm gonna suggest maybe not, because we're gonna see in Luke today, it's actually recorded a much different way. It's not the, the version you have committed to memory, but I think Luke writes it down this way, specifically. For a reason, okay? So we're going to read in Luke 11, verses 1 through 13. If you're able to, stand up with me. Kids, you know when you're at school, you stand up every morning for the Pledge of Allegiance? That's another thing you have memorized, right? It's because you're like honoring the flag, the country. How much more do we want to honor God? That's why we're standing right now. So Luke 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, Let me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And the friend will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his, the ESV has this terrible word there, impudence, persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is God's word. Father, we pray that you would open up our hearts, our minds, our ears, our souls to receive your word. To be transformed by it. That we would learn to pray the way Jesus prayed and the way Jesus taught us. Uh, Most importantly, to commune with and to be with you, God. And that it would transform the way that we are and the way that we live in this world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So a little discrepancy in the, in the Luke-Matthew version, right? Uh, Luke leaves off a few things. He gives us the shorthand version. Not our Father. He just says Father. Okay, that's not a big deal, right? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And then he kind of like stops that mid-sentence. What normally comes after that? Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, he just kind of leaves that part out. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, and then he cuts off again, but deliver us from evil, right? Is there a discrepancy here? Is there, like, did Luke have a different prayer than Matthew did? doesn't seem like it. It's, It's very similar, Right? Now, here's a couple, couple things that could have gone on. It could be Jesus taught people to pray this prayer often. And if that's the case, like how important is it for us, right? And so maybe like one time he, he did give the shorthand version to his disciples. Uh, this is when he, the picture we have here is like his disciples come and ask and teach us how to pray. In Matthew, it's a little bit different. The setting is a little bit different and the context is different in who he's teaching, right? So maybe he fills it out more for them. That's, that's one reason. That's one possible scenario. Maybe it could just be Luke decided to record this a little bit differently with an emphasis more on a certain area. Because Luke's trying to do something literarily. That means he's trying to write something down in a way that we'll get it as we read the story. Right? He's trying to give us a certain message. Could also be, as one friend told me this week, Luke just ran out of ink and couldn't write the whole thing. He's like, i only got so much ink, I'm just giving them what matters. I don't think that's... The scenario. but So what, what's going on here? I think, honestly, any of those things could have happened except the ink thing, but it doesn't really matter. The heart of the message, the heart of the prayer is still here. And I think Luke is emphasizing certain things that stand out to us. Because as we've been seeing as we go through the book of Luke, and if you go through the book of Acts, which Luke also wrote, you see a similar thing, is that Luke is emphasizing the kingdom of God. There is a kingdom that Jesus has come to bring here to this earth. But he does start the same way. He starts with Father. And I want to just camp out there for a second because the way that Jesus starts this prayer informs the whole rest of the prayer. Father. This is who you're approaching. And he could have used a lot of different titles here for God. He could have said, God Almighty. He could have said, Great Yahweh. Yahweh. He could have said, friend. Jesus called himself friends to his followers, his disciples. But he chooses father. The way that you approach God has deep significance. It is so important. And I just want us to stop and kind of think about that for ourselves for a second. What is the way you're approaching God? How do you often approach God in prayer, in life, as you move about throughout your day? Is it this familial relationship that like, God is your dad? Because that's the translation there, dad. Or is it like, this is a, a great, powerful, almighty, omnipotent, these words we don't even know really, God, that I, I, I cannot even come before him right now. And there's truth to that too. Is it, Jesus is my homeboy. This is my friend. We're just hanging, Right? There's, there's some truth and validity to that too, but Jesus, Jesus is very careful to say, no, "No, you approach him as Father," and this is the way Jesus came to God all the time too, Father. And I, I want us to think about that when we look at what He starts saying. You could say to Him, because He does say, He does say, how great God is. Hallowed be Your name. We actually taught on the Lord's Prayer if you were with us a, a few months back. Uh, but we just happened to come across it again in Luke, before we taught in Matthew. And we talked about this word. That's the only word in here that, like, we don't really understand. What is hallowed? The only time we come close to using it is Halloween, right? Uh, it actually means, like, this holy, set-apart, great significance. And I don't have time to go into why Halloween got that name. But hallowed. What he's saying is, God, you are so great. You are so strong and mighty. You are so much greater than all other people or things in creation. And so he, he does acknowledge that about this great, magnificent God, but he starts by calling him dad. He starts by calling him dad. And then he starts telling us, you can go to him and you can ask him for what you need. Now the way that you ask people for their needs, for your needs to be met by them, will be determined on your relationship you have with them. So I did this week this thing where I stood up with five other presenters, and I had three minutes to talk about our nonprofit organization, Cultivate. And the audience voted on who wins $500 for the organization. And so I had to stand up there to a bunch of strangers and say, I want you to give me your vote so that I can have $500 for our organization. The way that I approached that presentation was way different than if than when I was like 19 and I was like, hey dad, I need to borrow some money. Right? It, was, it was way different. The basis of relationship is different. Uh, the, the way I approached that would have been way different than if I went to a friend. Hey, we have this friendship here and I, and I know you love me, you care about me. Here, here's an example. You guys are all friends to us. Many of you, we, we take advantage of that friendship uh, to different degrees. But So just as one example, you guys have all loved us in so many ways, as one example, Like, the Suarez's are watching our kids all the time. All the time. And we feel like we're taking advantage of them sometimes. We're like, man, they are watching our kids, like, five times a week. It's not that bad, but it's pretty close. (laughs) And, but here's the thing is, like, they do that for us. And they've never complained about it because they love us as friends. Now, there's going to be a time where we can tap out that resource. It's probably happened. They've just been too kind to say it, right? Because even friendship has its limits. And I I say that as an example. You guys are like family to us. But even friendship does have its limits. And Jesus talks about that after the prayer. He, He talks about when you go to a friend, you go to their house and ask for something that you need, they may or may not want to do it in the middle of the night. But if you're persistent, all right, if you're persistent, maybe you'll get something out of that. But then he, trans, he transitions. So he's like showing us this degree of relationship. Look, look, a friend may or may not do this for you. Maybe if you're really, really annoying and obnoxious and keep asking. But let's look at the relationship of a dad. If you go to your dad and you ask for something... And it's a good thing, and you need it. If it's a good dad, you're probably going to get it. If you think about, like, if this God is king, who dares to enter into the king's courtroom in the middle of the night and wake them up and ask them for something? Like, I need a glass of water. Probably only the king's little child who knows that they can go to them. Because it's dad. And this is the basis of our relationship with this God. Dad, I know I can come to you. That should blow us away. That we can approach God, the creator of all things in the universe, as our dad. That familial tie is so strong. And I know some of us are sitting here going like, yeah, actually, I don't know about that. Like, you don't know my family. It's pretty messed up. And I don't really have a relationship with my dad. That could be your story in here. But I think even in our brokenness, we still recognize there's something about family, right? Like, how many relationships do you have with family members that you would have cut off if it was anyone else? Like, if it was anyone else acting that way, you'd be like, peace out, a long time ago. But, well, family is family. Well, this is my sister. Well, this is my father. Right? There's there's still, even in our brokenness, we see that. And what Jesus is showing us is, like, this is actually the healing and restoration of what family looks like. This is a good dad who will always be there for you, who you can always come to. So that's the first thing. That's the first basis. We come to him as dad. But this dad is also king. He's great. So dad, you are great above all other things. Your kingdom reigns. What does that mean? Kids, what does that mean? To pray, your kingdom come to God. Any thoughts? What does it mean when we say, God, we want your kingdom to be here? I know that's a big question, huh? What is it? want Want heaven to be here? Yeah? That's a good answer. Jonas? Yes. Whoa. Okay, so he said, if you didn't hear on this like, like, yeah, we want to be with you, God, but we don't want to also lose, like, all our video games and our, our stuff here. Now, <laughs> that's, thank you for saying that Jonas that's so good so here's, here's the unhealthy version of that is like yeah I'll take God if I can also keep this stuff like and not recognizing God is so much greater but here's actually a really healthy version of that that I'm glad he said that that we could point this out is what, what that prayer is saying is all the stuff in this world is not inherently bad it's good God created it good We've distorted a lot of it. We've messed it up in a lot of ways. But but this prayer, your kingdom come, is not a prayer of God, remove me from this place and take me to another place. It's this place you care about. This place you are coming into. And you are restoring and redeeming and making it better even. And so the things that we actually enjoy in this world that are good things, we do get to keep. We do get to hold on to in in right relationship with God who's king over all of it? I know that's a lot. That's a big question. I wasn't sure if anyone would be able to answer that. So we actually have a video. This comes from the Bible Project. I edited this down a little bit. Uh, one for the sake of time, two because it gets into some other things that we don't have time to talk about today. But I encourage you to watch the whole video later. So this is a video from the Bible Project talking about heaven and earth. Remember the fuller version of this prayer is your kingdom come Your will be done on earth, just like it is in heaven. What does that mean? Hopefully this video will help explain a little bit.
1: So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space.
2: So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding
1: of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us.
2: So these are two very different types of spaces.
1: Yes, they're they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact
2: space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but This idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about
1: that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning
2: where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping.
1: Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on.
2: But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from him.
1: Yeah. So we have these two spaces now and the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a a clear distinction. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results.
2: So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other?
1: So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us.
2: What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins.
1: He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. And
2: this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is... What happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus?
1: Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die. But that is not the focus of the Bible story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day. When he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again.
0: What do you guys think? Thoughts? Questions? canon When they overlap is there really going to be a city there? Without the question. It's a great question. Here's the thing. I don't think we can say 100% that we know what it's going to look like exactly, right? We don't know yet. But in the Bible, at the end of Revelation, that's what he talked about there. Revelation 22 talks about what this renewed heaven and earth will look like and it does mention a city. So we get at the very beginning of the story, remember God created all things, and there's this garden where people live in, and it's perfect and it's beautiful, but he gives them a job. There was work even before sin entered. Work is a good thing. God made us to work and to do good work. And so he gives them a job and he says, I want you to care for this garden, but not only care for it, the word he uses is to see that it flourishes or to Cultivate it to bring out the potential of this land, right? So he gives us the garden, but he says, I want you to do things in it. I want you to use the brains I've given you. Use the hands and feet I've given you. I want you to make things. Because we were made in his image. We were made to be like him, and he's the maker of all things, right? So make things. See that this, this garden stays beautiful, but make it something even more. God called us into partnership with him. So even though he's completely in control of all things, he lets us be his partners to do good things on this earth. And I think one day when he comes and restores this earth, it will start to look like a city. You'll see kind of like what we see here, but without all the bad parts of it, right? So without the pollution that cities often have, without the homelessness that cities have, without the... The, the broken relationships and without the weeds growing in our backyard, you know how many weeds we have, right? All the good things, though, will exist. Great question. Any other thoughts or questions on that video? This is it just my two kids asking questions all day long, you guys? Jonas. You're confused because we're supposed to what? Give up everything everything to be with him? Okay, okay, good question. So, he said, I thought we were supposed to want to give up everything we have to be with God. But now you're saying we get to have some of these things too and be with God, right? So, how many of you know the, the parable, the story of the buried treasure? Where... Jesus tells the story, he says, the kingdom of God is like this treasure that this man finds buried in a field, and he goes and sells everything he has just to get that treasure. He says, the kingdom of God is like that. Like, you should want to give up everything you have to be with the king, Jesus. So that's, that's a good starting point. I, th- I think that's where that's maybe coming from, right? But here's the thing. When that man goes and gets the treasure, he has so much more than what he had before, and like... He could buy more clothes, right? (laughs) So what what he's saying is, it's not that you get rid of everything and you have nothing but Jesus, but are you willing to be satisfied with nothing but Jesus? So if you have only Jesus, is that enough? And the answer is yes. But because, because Jesus is a good king, because God is a good father, he also lets us come to him and say, hey, give us what we need for today. Do you guys know that phrase, that phrase in the prayer? He said, give us our daily bread. Actually, the original translation, it says, give us the bread we need for tomorrow. Can you think of any other story in the Bible where something like that happened? Where people were praying and God just surprised, or God just supplied bread for each day that they needed it. Any, any story in the Bible where that happened? Right? Yeah, yeah, when the Israelites were slaves to Egypt and God freed them out of slavery to Egypt, they left, they were in the wilderness, and they had nothing to eat, and God provided bread from the sky. It's pretty amazing, right? So the word is is manna. You guys heard manna? Actually, the the Hebrew, I think, is more pronounced manna. And what it means is, what? Like, seriously, that's what that word means. Uh, Maybe a more appropriate contextual translation is, what the... Stop it there. What the? And that's kind of how, like, we were sharing, like, how God's been providing for us uh, with the organization lately, and it's like, every step of the way, it's like, what? And this too, God? That's amazing. Like, that's how God was providing for them. Food raining down from the sky, and they're like, what? And then what did he tell them to do? Gather how much? Whatever you need for that day, right? Right? Why? Because I want you to trust me that I'm going to do it again tomorrow. And what would happen is there would be some people who would gather more than what they needed for that day. What if it doesn't rain bread tomorrow? This was pretty amazing. We can't count on it happening again. What if it doesn't happen again? Get more. Get more. Look, this is good bread. No one else needs it right now. Why not? We're not taking from anybody. Like, Just gather some of this bread. Bring it into your tent. And the next morning, they would wake up, and it was nasty, moldy, filled with maggots. No, God said, no, 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 trust me. I will give you what you need for each day. And every day, you will be surprised by how good I am. You will be like, what in the world is going on? This is so good. But just what you need. He doesn't say, pray that God will give you a new Corvette, right? Right? Like, that's not the prayer he says to come and ask. When we get to that part, afterward, Jesus is explaining, like, ask, seek, knock. Whatever you ask, it will be given to you. So many times we translate that as, like, I could ask God for anything and he'll give it to me. No, no, no. Ask what you need. In Proverbs 30, verse 9, Solomon understood this. And so he was praying. Verse 8. He says at the end of verse 8, give me neither poverty nor riches. Don't make me too poor or too rich. Why? Feed me with the food that is needful for me today unless I get full and deny you and say who is the Lord. Or I get poor and steal and profane the name of my God. What he's saying is if I have too much, I'll start to forget that I need you, God. I'll start to think "I, I did this for myself. Look how hard I worked. I, I built this for me. But if I have too little, I won't be provided for. I'll have to start breaking some of these commandments and some of these rules of God's kingdom to feel like i got to get enough. God, give me what I need so that I can continue to trust in you. That's how we enter into the kingdom. And so we do get, we do get stuff, Jonas. We do get stuff, but we recognize it all comes from him. That he's the dad who gives the good gifts. Right? And that's okay. If our heart and our attention is on him as the giver of those things and as the king over all of it, we get to enjoy all of it too. This prayer teaches us that this world is not bad. And we're not waiting to escape it one day to a better place in the clouds. What it's teaching us is that this is a good world. So good. God said that seven times when he created it. right? So good. That he enters into it when it starts to fall apart. Because our selfishness, we start breaking things down in rebellion to God. But he enters into it. He takes on human form. And he comes to fix it and restore it and make it good again. He wants to make it good again and flourish. And he wants to restore us back to that place we were supposed to be. Where we partner with him in that. In his kingdom. Where he's the king but he lets us partner with him. That's incredible. That's amazing. And so this prayer, God, your kingdom come, is saying we want this earth to know who you are, the one who made it. And we want this earth to look like the way you intended it to look. And we want to take our rightful place in that. Not as trying to be kings ourselves, but recognizing that you're the king and showing the rest of the world what you're like. That's what this prayer is. And so he ends that by saying, you can go to God and you can ask him for this. He's a good dad, he wants this. This is his desire too. When you pray this way, he's gonna answer it because that's the work he's doing. And what he's teaching you is I want you to want the same things that God wants. And at the end, this is how he finishes it. He starts talking about like, hey, if a dad's asked this, he's going he's to give a good thing to his kids, right? How much more will the good dad, the father, give you what? What does that last line say, verse 13? How much more will the heavenly father give, do you guys have it? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. What he's saying is the best gift you could have is not a new job, not a new car, not that your bills would be paid. God's going to provide for you everything you need for each day. Don't worry about that. What you can come to this dad and ask for is the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit that hovered over this earth when I first created it. The power of the Holy Spirit that brought me into this world to come and show you the right way to live. This is what Jesus is saying. The power of the Holy Spirit that will allow me to go through the pain and torture of death and into the grave and then rise again out of it victoriously. I'm giving you that gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the best thing you can ask this dad for. And he will give it to you so that, why? So that you can have a more comfortable life. No, so that you can live in this kingdom in the best way possible, showing the rest of the world around you what the king is like. Doing the things that he just talked about in chapter 10. Loving God with all that you have. That's the spirit helping you do that. And loving other people, the people no one else wants to be around. And being with God. Remember? Those are the things he's calling us to. Love God. Love others. Be with Jesus. That's it. If you do those things, all the other laws and rules in this book will be accomplished. Jesus says that. So let's pray for that good gift of the spirit right now. Will you guys pray that with me? Father, you are great and mighty and powerful and above all other things in this world. And you are good and you care for all things in this world. And you let us come to you and we ask that you would give us whatever we need each day, God, to be your people, to follow after you, to be provided for, and to love you and other people well. God, we ask that you forgive us every time that we have turned away from you and we've trusted in other things to provide for us. We've trusted in other things to satisfy us. God, we know that that's not the way of your kingdom. Forgive us. God, we also pray that you would make us a people who forgive other people. That we would recognize we are all in need of you. And when other people hurt us and wrong us, we know that you forgave us when we've hurt and wronged you. And we could do the same. So, God, help us. Help us to live in your kingdom. Lead us in the ways of the King Jesus that we would represent you well to this world until the day you come back and fully restore it. Deliver us from the evil that is within our own hearts and that is outside and around us. And we do this for your glory, God. In the power of your spirit, because of who Jesus is, we pray these things, amen.